This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. All of us walk around with something we need to get off our chest. Maybe you're upset about something or something's making you sad. You've got frustrations at work or at home. And if you keep those things bottled up, it can affect all of us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get those things off your chest and figure out how to work through them. There are many benefits to therapy for people from all walks of life. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rise and Fall today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Rise and Fall. One of the challenges of producing this podcast was figuring out what you could and couldn't cover in the storytelling. Obviously, a church's 18-year history isn't all going to fit in 12 episodes, no matter how long any episode got. One story we certainly could have gone deeper into is the story of Mars Hill Music, which in many ways, from the very beginning, was a rejection of mainstream Christian music culture and part of what made Mars Hill unique. In case you were wondering, that is, in fact, a didgeridoo. And this is Mars Hill's first record. Don't judge it, though. It was the 90s. For context, this record came out around the time the churches across the country were singing Shout to the Lord and Shine Jesus Shine. It was weird and dark. Most of the lyrics were taken straight from scripture or hymns, and there really wasn't anything like it happening at the time. When musicians at Mars Hill would talk about their music, they'd say, we wouldn't preach anyone else's sermons. Why would we sing their songs? And for the most part, they didn't. Not for a really long time, anyway. They primarily sang their own songs, plus a few old hymns, and it became a hallmark of the church. They even embraced a punk rock spirit about intellectual property. They had stickers on their CDs that said, steal this record, and thank God Jesus didn't copyright the gospel. This was the era of Napster, and this was the hacker ethic. Information wants to be free. So, let's just give it away. That would change later, but it was a big part of the culture early on, and it was part of the way Mars Hill music spread and spread the influence of the church throughout the early 2000s. Another thing that made Mars Hill music unique was that there really wasn't a worship team in the traditional sense. There were bands, bands with names, like this one, 
called Team Strike Force. The idea was that if you wanted to play music at Mars Hill, great. Go start a band. Write some songs. When you think you're ready, we'll come see if you're any good. The result, over the years, was that Mars Hill music never sounded like anyone else, and no two bands really sounded the same. So, along with Team Strike Force, you had a band like Red Letter. Over the years, the sounds expanded and evolved. Some musicians moved into other roles as pastors. Others, like Joe Day, served as church musicians for more than a decade. In the last few years, there was an influx of new musicians and an intentional effort to build a record label and a movement out of Mars Hill Music. We talked before about Dustin Kensrue of Thrice being part of that story, but a number of other bands emerged around that time as well. And what's remarkable is that some of them stuck around, to this day. In fact, you may know some of them, like Ghost Ship or Citizens. I remember right from our conversation last summer, you talked about you kind of grew up with Mars Hill music, right? As like a teenager. You want to start there? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I grew up in the church. This is Chad Gardner. He served as a worship leader at Mars Hill during the church's last several years. Obviously, all churches are dysfunctional, but, but compared to all my friends, a pretty healthy way. I had a pretty deep emotional relationship with Jesus before I ever heard about Mars Hill. Okay. And so in high school, at some point, you know, Marcel was making so much noise and I grew up outside Seattle. My friends and I would pile in my two-door Honda Civic, five of us, and drive, drive into Seattle and just go check it out. Obviously, Mark was, you know, I mean, he's just, he's a, he was a powerful uh, figure and his confidence was really appealing to me, especially as somebody who had struggled with anxiety, you know, but to be honest, the thing that as a kid growing up also with a lot of music and playing in bands and DJing and doing music at my own church, the music was what was really like blowing me away. Chad's band is another one that emerged at Mars Hill and continued after the church closed, continues to this day even. I first heard him about a decade ago when someone sent me this live version of Come Thou Found of Every Blessing on YouTube. Of course, listeners to this podcast are already familiar with Chad's band. It's King's Kaleidoscope. You've been listening to it since we launched the podcast with this song, a reflection on his Mars Hill experience. Did I pledge my entrance? And that's the story you're going to hear today. Was I chasing convenience?
Christianity Today. This is Mike Cosper, and you're listening to a bonus episode of The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Today, a conversation with Chad Gardner from King's Kaleidoscope. We talk about becoming a worship leader at the church, leaving once he understood it from the inside, and continuing to follow Jesus and make music today. We also talk about a mistake I made and the decision to fix it, and why if you go back to listen to earlier episodes, you're going to hear something different now. So stay with us. Chad was 20 when he was invited to join the staff as an intern, serving on a team that was launching a college-focused campus near the University of Washington. Within just a few months, Mars Hill acquired a multi-million dollar facility for them. I really wanted to be a part of this counter-CCM culture, alternative stream of Christian music that was very Christian, it was worshipful, it was feeding people's faith. And it had nothing to do with Nashville. That, that was sort of like, you know what I mean? Like that rebellious yeah, part man. of this really helped me lock in with the Mars Hill culture and DNA. Like I fit very at home there. And there was a lot of pride there for sure at the time. But it also was an opportunity for a lot of genuine worship and just yeah. incredible times with that ministry. And it was literally like a bunch of college kids or college age kids or early 20s kids, a pastor that's barely 25 and no supervision. And the only thing we had to do was put Mark on the screen on a video every week and kind of run the show. (laughs) I actually lived in the church. There was an apartment on top of like above the sanctuary. So I was like Quasimodo, like 20 years old, (laughs) like living in the church. You know, I'd, I'd get like an idea for rearranging a hymn or something. I'd just like go down three flights of stairs into the sanctuary at midnight and just be playing piano. Hmm. You know, I was living in this huge, huge space with, there was a couple other guys up there. It was pretty wild, but, um, yeah, so I was 20 years old and I met my wife. She was one of the other, like, it was probably like four or five of us that planted that, that campus. She was one of the other people. She kind of ran the business side. We got married when I was 21 and right after we got married, they moved me from the college campus to the main campus. Hmm. which was pretty weird because I literally was like, I had gotten, I'd been married for like two weeks. And then it was like, I'm working with my wife, you know, the pastor that married us, we've all, we're doing this whole thing. And then it was like, actually, you guys are going to work different places and you're going to go to different churches. <laughs> Cause she can't like not be at the college campus on Sundays, you know? Right. And like, right. we don't have a job for you over here, but you're just going to, work at different churches and good luck to you. Um, (laughs) And that did not go well. It was really rough. Eventually she was able to transfer over to work at Central, but um, it was weird. It was really weird. So you're, you're sort of part of that. You know, if the first wave is all those guys that were sort of late nineties up until about the two thousands of worship leaders, second wave, that's like Tim, Joel, those guys, Brian, Yeah, you're then, you know, then like you right they Ken's booted room. they booted Joel from for me how weird is that, <laughs> that is no I'm, I, I'm serious yeah, yeah, yeah. like straight up like i cannot imagine the conversations Joel had i mean Joel was probably 32 and i was 21 he's 10 years older than me and they made him the production manager 
when I moved there to be the worship director and he like mentored me for like six months and then he left and I was mm. the worship director and I was, I had just turned 22. Yeah. How weird is that? But thinking about that now, right? Like, so, so much of this story is about celebrity and media and, you know, Mark being 26 and mm -hmm. saying like, you know, I've never been a part of a church. I've never been a, you know, volunteer in a church. I'm going to go be a pastor. And, and then this sort of rocket to stardom, right. Or celebrity right. looking back on that, like 21 year old, 22 year old guys making it in the music business. Isn't that abnormal necessarily. And you live in that side of it now. How do you look back on your experience inside of the church and think about you know, essentially your charisma put you in a place where they wanted to put you in front of one of their more, uh, well, it was the, the it was, word, yeah, it was but, the biggest yeah. campus at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then it switched to Bellevue within probably a year. You know, one of the things for, as I worked at Marceau for about five years, and one of the things is I always had interns, you know, every year I'd get one or two new interns and they were always these young kids who really wanted to be worship leaders. So they were going to the big mega church where they had this like countercultural thing. They were trying to get in the same stream as us. Right. And the thing that I would always tell them, cause I was experiencing it in real time was like your charisma and your talent is dangerous. Mm. You know, like you can survive and thrive off that and your soul will kind of just be coasting the whole time. Mm. You know, Monday mornings after Sundays, we'd always have these meetings where we did grades for every part of the service. So you know, the greeting team would get an A through an F. The worship would get an A through an F. The children's ministry, everything. And one of the scariest moments was when I was like, you know, 22 years old. And I'm sitting there every Monday morning and I'm just getting A's. Easy, easy A's. And it's all just because of a talent and like some charisma. And it does not matter like the condition of my soul or the posture of my spirit or anything else, you know, and you really realize at that moment, like, this is not, this is bad. <laughs> this is dangerous. This is dangerous. The, the flip side of it is like, you are 22. So right. you're also looking at these people going like, yeah, this is crazy, but also I guess this is the way to do it, you know, because you're being told that by the people that are supposed to be kind of right. mentors right. and leaders and all that. Well, and I should double back here. So the thing that got me to the main campus at that time from the college one was the worship director at that, the main campus, he had to do Easter, right? And you know mm -hmm. how this is with worship directors. They're like, man, can I, I can't do Good Friday and Easter. And at Good Friday, because Mars Hill is so emo, of course, like Good Friday is a big deal, right? So they said, well, Chad's doing some crazy cool stuff at this college, the college location. Let's, let's see if he can arrange stuff and do the, the Good Friday service. You know, they usually live stream it to who knows how many tens of thousands of people. We're not going to live stream it this year. Let's just bring the college kid over here and he can cover so I can do Easter. So, of course, I go like full, like, it's like challenge accepted. You know what I mean? Like, this is the way I think. You know, I'm out here to like dismantle CCM. I'm doing a Good Friday service. This must be intense anybody's ever heard possible. I assemble like best guys I know and we just do this like just craziest live service ever for Good Friday.
two hours before we're going to start the first service, the media team is like in the room and they're like, oh my God, we have to stream this. So they were mm-hmm. like hustling, setting up the cameras. They live streamed it. It got a ton of downloads. It was like one of the, how lame is this? But you know, the, the Marissa would do like these like highlights by the numbers year end things. It was like one of the things. The weekend after I did that service, it was like, you know, you get the you get the email. It's like, hey, can you come meet Mark in his office, you know, this time, da-da-da-da-da. And I never even talked to him. You know, I've been working at his church for two years. I've never even talked to him ever. Maybe like, wow. maybe in passing, like once or yeah. twice, but never like sit down and have a conversation. And so just based on that Good Friday service alone and how many tens of thousands of people streamed it and watched it, and it was the first moment, King's Classic didn't even have a name yet. It was like Chad Gardner. But that was when I got Mark's attention, and then he had to call me up to his you know, big boy office and try to tell me I was going to be a campus pastor someday. And I'm looking at him like, uh, no way, dude, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no way, man. I'm trying to make records someday. When are we getting Marshall Music off the ground, you know? So that would have been, what, 11 or so that you came to Ballard? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so it's really, I mean, we're talking a couple of years before things. Totally a fall apart. So. Yeah. hmm. I got out of there the fall of 13. Yeah. And my wife shortly after. And in that process, you know, so I turn in my resignation within an hour, my email is shut off and I, and I have a message. It's like, basically you'll never be on stage again. (laughs) <laughs> and my resignation is like, whatever it takes, I'm here to help train the next person, whatever you want from me. I'm, he- I'm all here to be helpful. And they're like, nope, you're not getting on that stage again. It was like, I was a, I was a liability immediately to them, which is funny because they let my wife keep working for two months across the street. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Isn't that, it was so wild. And I, yeah, it was very, very wild. So King's Kaleidoscope is like, you know. Marissa Music is just off the ground. We've released an EP with some hymn arrangements on it that, you know, it's fine, but it's really for the church. And we've released our <laughs> gnarly Good Friday <laughs> uh, live recording, right? Uh, and a Christmas thing. But really what we're working on is our main record, okay? So when I put in my resignation, I'm out the door. My wife's out the door a couple weeks later. We're totally out. And I'm going back to Mars Hill going, hey, You've got a hard drive with a couple months of work on it that I've been working on this record with tracks. Nothing's finished. Like I haven't sung, but it's, it's a lot, you know, it's a bulk of the record. I would say 70% of the record of our first record. Can I buy it back from you? And I don't have any money. You know what I mean? Like I just, me and my wife both just quit our jobs and left our church community and like all of it. We don't know what's going on, but I'm like desperate to get back my record so that I can release it. And they're coming at me with like, well, you don't own the name King's Kaleidoscope. That's not your copyright because you're working for us and anything creatively you do is owned by us. So I'm having to push on them and go, actually, I started it, you know, here's, I started the Facebook before I was hired. I was only an intern. I own the name. And what do you, what are you going to do with the record otherwise? Why don't, why not sell it to me? It's just going to sit on a shelf. They just refused. It was like, felt so spiteful. To like yeah. not let me continue to do that as a ministry. 
So the the crazy fact is our first record, I re-recorded it. Like I had to re-record really? the, whole, wow. the, whole, the whole thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Tooth and Nail ended up absorbing Marcel Music, and so they released it, hmm. which was okay, but I still was trying to buy it from them, and they wouldn't sell it to me either. So hmm. I really felt like, okay. So they were claiming IP on even just on the songs you'd written while you were at Marcel. Oh, yeah, they still do. Like Come Thou Fount, yeah. that like, that like uh, church pre-post playlist like smash hit, the arrangement that I did, <laughs> I get I get pennies on that sucker. Yeah, because Marcel refused to sell me any of the IP. They just they sold it in one chunk to Tooth and Nail and said, "Too bad." Literally the week we left, my wife and I left Marcel. We were fully out, and I basically was like, "All right, I'm going to re-record my whole album." to do it justice and be faithful with that. So here you have me and my wife, you know, we've left, we've left both of our jobs. We only have a couple months money. We have no more church community or like oversight. I'm trying to like make a record for the very first time in my whole life. And we have all this death around us. And so in a way we never got to over intellectualize the problems with the church as an organization and structure. Like there wasn't a lot of space to just go harbor bitterness for Mark kind of hijacking our organic, genuine community of faith, right? Because that's, in my view, that's really what happened. It's like all of my best friends are still from Mars Hill. My wife I met at Mars Hill. I cut my teeth on learning how to to lead worship and make music. And a lot of my music friends that maybe aren't even in my band anymore, but some of them are, are from Mars Hill. So Net positive, Mars Hill is a very positive experience in my life. Like, very. But what I'm saying is, coming out of Mars Hill and having all that hardship immediately afterwards, I was right back at Jesus' feet. Like, I needed his comfort. I needed his presence every day. And there wasn't another option. I I didn't have the space to go sort of like simmer and become jaded and bitter. I just... I fell in love with Jesus immediately in a, even a, probably a deeper way because of all that, that hardship. And, um, you know, in hindsight, that probably really saved me from kind of f- fully like falling into like a deconstruction spiral and never being able to reconstruct. You know what I mean? Like yeah, totally. it just, it just hit the NOS button on reconstructing immediately. Cause I had a real need. One of the things I've thought a lot about Mark had this confidence and this certainty about if you do things this way, God will bless your life, your life will flourish. And it wasn't prosperity and the gospel in the sense that like, give us money, you know, you're going to get healthy, you know, and wealthy and and everything else. Right. But it it was a kind of like virtue prosperity, like be a man, be a woman, you know, pull it together. And and there's all this, you know, and so I, I do think a lot about how, you know, to what degree that that idealistic promise, which is false because Jesus meets us in our grief and yes. our sorrows as much as he meets us in our successes. Yeah. To what degree the, the crushing of that idealism isn't every bit as much at, at root of the deconstruction and loss as it is sure. Mark's actual failure, you know? I think it's probably more, to be honest. Yeah. I think yeah. that blueprint that Mark laid down was so appealing and felt like such a better version of every other blueprint of Christianity to a lot of the people there 
And then when it didn't work, especially if it was people's first introduction to faith, like those are the friends of mine that have had the hardest time. You know, yeah. if you were saved at Mars Hill and that blueprint is what you had, and then the blueprint shows that it's got cracks in it and, you know, Mark has a lot of cracks in it and he's not repenting, you know, it's a really hard thing to recover from. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. All of us walk around with something we need to get off our chest. Maybe you're upset about something or something's making you sad. You've got frustrations at work or at home. And if you keep those things bottled up, it can affect all of us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get those things off your chest and figure out how to work through them. There are many benefits to therapy for people from all walks of life. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash RiseAndFall today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash RiseAndFall. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and County, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption. Written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. Did you go on to work at another church or did you just continue making music the whole time? No, man. So I left Mars Hill and it was like, I got to get through this, all the stuff that's happening in my family. And I'm just going to do this record. Nothing else but this record. Got the record out and it was seriously like, well, you know, we got enough money to live this month and pay rent. Let's just see what happens. And if I have to go get a job at a coffee shop, I will for a while or let's see how it goes a month turns into six months, turns into a year. And then you're kind of like, all right, I guess I'm going to make records now. I should probably start making another one, <laughs> you know? And um, I kind of fell into not making records because I've always wanted to do that, but I fell into, I'm an artist full time now. I'm not like a worship leader. And every time I would get an opportunity to go work at another church or something, it just, it just never felt like that's where God was, was telling me to go. And so I just kept writing songs, you know, that was never my plan. I mean, when I was 18, my plan was I'm going to change worship music and do that somewhere. And it ended up being at Mars Hill. And then, you know, by the time I was 25, I was just like, I guess I'm just making records now, you know? Yeah. So you wrote a song that is part <laughs> of this podcast. Um, if I remember correctly, like a lot of that album is processing a bit of kind of the experience or... A little bit. So we get our first record out and it's like a mixtape of everything that has been sitting in me that was left over from Mars Hill and everything else that I wanted to add to it. Okay. It's out of the way. It's done. Oh my gosh, I got a record done. We go into our second record, very personal record. And it's sort of more about the emotional toll of like those three years of leaving Mars Hill and trying to figure out my life. 
get to our third record. And at that time, you know, really the people in the band had started to like sift out. They were either like, man, I just can't do it. I'm really struggling with pulling all of the, the Mars Hill stuff apart. And I just don't know if I believe anymore. And then there's some of them that are like, no, I'm back in a church now. It's been a few years and I'm doing really good. One of my band members, you know, I had the beat for sticks and stones. I send it to them. And the first thing they write, this is a person that's really struggling with their faith. Seriously. The first thing they write, they just send it back to me. And the quick thing is they don't get it. I don't get it. We're committed to sticks and stones. Basically they triggered this feeling of like, Oh, they're, they are processing so much pulling apart Mars Hill. This is Mm -hmm. the first thing that comes to their head, this. And I thought to myself, all right, this is a cool opportunity because I really love this person. They're probably not going to be in my band very much longer, but I can actually be completely 100% unified with them and feel with them in starting to write a song about Mars Hill. Cause I'm, mm-hmm. I'm even though I'm choosing the path of like, I'm going to stay enchanted and I'm going to really hope in the gospel and they're not choosing that path. We can write a song with a hundred percent equal footing <laughs> about the, pitfalls of Mars Hill. So we wrote a little bit more on it. And then the co-writer that I write with the most is Zach Bolin. And so he actually finished writing the song with me. And it was just this poetic sort of landscape of that story. You know, most people, I don't think have ever really realized exactly what it was about. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in our, when we do a tour, we do a Q and a before the show for like some VIP folks, like that one gets a lot of questions of like, what do you mean paint the beauty we split? Like it's, it's poetic enough and there's a lot of, there's enough imagery in it that people weren't certain what I was talking about, but I knew it was meaningful to like the band member to be able to like write that from that perspective. And so that was really the initial, mm-hmm. the initial inspiration. Yeah. I was going to ask about that lyric in particular, cause, cause I have a sense of what what I think that means, but obviously, yeah, like, <laughs> right. you know, uh, what, what do you mean? Well, it's actually surprisingly linear in my head. I think of the beauty as Christ's bride, the church. I think of paint as Christ's redeeming blood. Mm. And I think that we split as the church that we've pulled apart, that we broke. Mm. Yeah. So it's honestly like a cry, kind of a plea prayer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an incredible song. I mean, not just, not just because it's a great song that like, right. It's a, it's a, it's an earworm in, in the best sense that like <laughs> yeah. you hear it and you want to hear it. You, you want to go sure. back to it. But yeah, I mean, those lyrics do, I think they have a resonance, you know, as we were putting the podcast together, I was really kind of combing through Mars Hill music stuff. Cause I, I wanted to have something that was connected to the church as a theme song, if we could make it work. Sure. And so I come across that song and it just fit so perfectly, right. you know, what we're trying to do. <laughs> right. But w- one of the things that's been surprising to me over the over the course of the release is like, of course, like a lot of the audience didn't know that you all were had a connection to Mars Hill. And it was funny to see the comments where people go, wow, like what a you guys picked a perfect song to sync up with this. It's like he's singing about the church's story. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, I am. Yeah. I am. <laughs> so one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation is because there's another layer of backstory here that is is funny and it and it's gonna it affects the podcast from here moving forward and yeah. something some changes we're making to the other episodes. 
so yeah, we I reached out to you. Uh, I don't think we'd ever connected before, but no, I don't think so. Yeah, but through Joel, we we connected and we talked. Told you a little bit about the podcast, you know, and the the thought that we'd like to, you know, use the song as a theme song. And it was this funny moment because it was probably May that we talked, uh-huh. and it was like, yeah, we're doing this thing. It's Christianity Today, and neither one of us had a sense that it was going to be that big a deal. Right, right, right. <laughs> and so we worked out the details and we just went forward with it. Tell me, I'd just love to hear, and and genuinely, like, share as openly as you're willing, like, yeah. what has the experience been like for you as the podcast became this weird phenomenon? Right. And as your song and your band and your work became so connected to it? So, yeah, I remember you calling me and talking to me about the podcast and saying, you know, yeah, this your song would work perfect for it. And I'm just thinking, oh, yeah, you know, that song's about Mars Hill and it, it's got enough poetic imagery that I'm sure that would that would be perfect. Sounds good. Whatever my, you know, agency <laughs> says, you know, just just pay for it. Do it. Let's let's go. No problem. That was my initial feeling. Right. And then when <laughs> when it took off and the scale of the podcast got so big and um, this is at a time where I am I really I don't have social media on my phone you know I was like working on a record I'm hyper focused I'm not really paying attention to be honest at all I'm kind of out of it when I first saw the text that were like now I can't listen to Sticks and Stones anymore without hearing Mark scream you know how dare you after Chad sings then I was like oh no what have I done you know and so then when I saw the scale of it get big, then I really thought, oh man, you know, and then when I heard it, cause I didn't even listen to it for a while. And then when I heard it, I was like, oh man, like, look, if this was a thing, like I thought initially it was going to be, which is, you know, ex Mars Hill people going to help them process seminary students going to be like a cautionary tale might have a few like hardcore deconstructionists where this is just like TMZ sugar for their appetite. Like that's fine. I don't care. When it got to the scale of that, I was like, oh my gosh, like my song, it's like my, my biggest thing that I'm doing now is like a duet with Mark Driscoll. Oh my gosh. I got, I, I don't want his thumbprints all over my song. That's already been out for two years. You know, Smart. my song that's already been, my most successful song and been in the Super Bowl commercials and like all this stuff. Like, I don't want people associating Mark with that. I don't want to go open for a bigger artist where I'm playing for a couple thousand brand new people that have never heard King's Classic ever. And when we play that song, part of that audience has listened to a random big podcast in the top five on, on iTunes. And they're like, wait a second, this is a theme song for like a gnarly, you know, church story. Like, you know, it was like, man, It's not that I didn't want my song connected to Mars Hill because it's part of my story. It was like the feeling of Mark putting his fingerprints on my expression and my piece of work felt, Mm -hmm. it just started to really feel icky, you know? And I couldn't shake it. And I was feeling, I, I didn't know what to do because I was like, man, I mean, this thing's getting millions of downloads. They're however many episodes in, like, I'm not gonna tell them to pull it out, right? But I just couldn't get that pit out of my stomach of like, this type of association is not what I want here for King's Kaleidoscope. You know, Mm -hmm. King's Kaleidoscope is one of the few public facing things left over from Mars Hill 
that is still believing and is still hoping and it's still mm-hmm. full of faith in chasing that enchantment with the gospel. And I just, I hated the feeling that one of our songs was going to just have Mark's fingerprints on it forever, you know? Yeah. And so, so a little more of the backstory, we hadn't talked about that at all. We <laughs> I were <know>. thinking that <laughs> I, you know, we were approaching the final episode and a few weeks out before that final episode, it clicked for me that it didn't make sense to have that song for the finale. Mm-hmm. I wanted something that entered into a deeper sense of lament, a deeper sense of brokenness. And so I reached out to you to connect to you and talk to you about that. And I just got to say, I mean, when we came up in the conversation, you know, here I am <laughs> as, as an editor and a producer, proud of this thing that we've made and particularly proud of like how we set up the credits and they tell a story and all of this kind of yeah. stuff. But the thing that struck me, I remember we were on a Zoom call and there were a couple other folks on it and you shared what you just shared. And I realized like, oh man, like I contributed to the pain of Mars Hill in a way that I didn't mean to, hmm. that no one on our team meant to. Right. And not so much in necessarily, like I think about it and I think probably you would agree with this, like not so much even in necessarily the connection of the song to the story, but putting Mark's voice in the story, making mm-hmm. him a part of right. this work you, that you did that was part of your redemption uh, story sure. or this yeah. this hope yeah. you're trying to tell. And so that broke, I mean, just honestly, like that broke my heart. I just felt mm. like, oh, dude, if someone had done that to me, it would have... It would have crushed me too. Mm. So all that to say, man, like I, I am sorry and I'm glad we were able to talk about it. And, um, and so one of the reasons, you know, the reason we're telling the story now is because we've gone back through, you know, the mm-hmm. previous episodes. If you go back and listen to any previous episodes, you'll notice that Mark's voice is gone from those mm-hmm. opening credits. And, um, you know, that's not a copyright decision. That's not a, you know, anything else. It's, we want to honor the song. We want to show our uh, respect and appreciation for you as an artist. And we want to be part of the redemptive story that the song is telling. Tell me what else is happening with some of those other bands that have continued on. since. Yeah, I mean, first, I'm just so thankful that you guys even, you guys did not have to do anything with that at all. And I was blown away that you guys heard that, just just really heard my heart on that and going, man, you know what? With the scale of this and how Mark is in the song with me, it actually is going to kind of like hurt our band as a as our entity and as you know, just as a band, it's it's going to be a tough association to break. And the fact that you guys heard that was incredible. So I'm so thankful for that, for real. But yeah, I mean. There's a few other bands from Mars Hill that were all still kind of trucking along. You know, when the church collapsed, you had like the main sort of worship directors or a few of them, me, Zach Boland with Citizens, Brian with the Sing Team, Cam with Ghost Ship. Those are kind of the main ones. There's a few others, but like we just kind of kept making records. To me, that's kind of been a beautiful element of when you think about the Mars Hill story and you think about this organic sort of like-mindedness, pursuing faith. And then Mark and this infrastructure sort of crushes it and falls apart. That community in pockets just kept going. And then the music guys are one of the ones that just kept going. You know, Brian and Zach are some of my best friends. I talk to them every single week. We still write music together. Like we're basically doing the exact same thing we would be doing within an infrastructure of Mars Hill, 
Mm-hmm. We're just doing it on our own now. So all mm-hmm. of those bands are putting out constantly putting out music. I think it's a little bit of the embodiment of the healthy side of the spirit of Mars Hill still alive, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody that's fascinated with Mark and the movement of all that stuff, you know, there's the cautionary tale part of it. There's also the like beautiful community side of it that has these pockets that are still going. And I think it's very apparent in the music that's that's out there. Yeah. It's like a fragment of the thing that felt like it was such a big deal, right? That yeah, yeah. The way that Mars Hill was able to do something that was very different. Yeah. And then to look at it now and to see that it survives and thrives, that's a great thing. So Right. Yeah. Well, thanks for sitting down with me for this conversation. Is there anything you wanted to talk about we didn't get to? So, yes. For everybody out there who heard the song at the intro of this podcast, has been following this along and thought, wow, what a, what a fitting song for this, this whole deal. Just want to make sure everybody knows that song has been out for years. We've got a bunch of other music that's been out for years. And there's a bunch more bands from Mars Hill that have been making music. So if everybody can check out Ghost Ship, Citizens, The Sing Team, and us, King's Kaleidoscope, we would all appreciate it because, you know, we're one of the things from Mars Hill that has kept going that I still think is beautiful. And... um not a lot of people know about it. We have a new record coming out this summer called Baptize Imagination. And we're doing something we've never done before, which is we're going to play the record live uh, for all of our fans on a huge national tour that we're, we're about to head out on in May and June. All through those two months, we're going to be premiering a record live, um, which we're really excited about. We've never done that before. It's going to be crazy. And then so- shortly after this summer, the record will be out. So yeah, follow us on Spotify so you don't miss it. Follow us on Instagram. Both those are just King's Kaleidoscope. And you can get tickets at kingskaleidoscope.com. Good luck spelling kaleidoscope, but Google will help you out. You'll, you'll find it. And yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. I really appreciate it. And I'll say this. I'm, I'm begging you. This is a fear I have. Uh, if you go see <laughs> King's Kaleidoscope live, yeah, don't do not sing shout it. <laughs> who do you think you are. Because I think they yeah. will probably and should instruct the bouncers to throw you out if you do. Thanks, Jeff. Dude, thank you so much. The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill is a production of Christianity Today. It's executive produced by Eric Petrick. It's produced, written, and edited by Mike Cosper. Joy Beth Smith and Azure Phelps are associate producers. Songs on this episode are by Brad Curra and Paul Musburg, Team Strike Force, Red Letter, Citizens, and of course, King's Kaleidoscope. Special thanks to Mars Hill's longtime pastor of worship, Tim Smith. You heard Tim throughout this series, and you heard his band, Ex Nihilo, on episode four. Music and sound design by Kate Siefker. Mixing by Kate Siefker. Editorial consulting by Andrea Palpentdilly. Graphic design by Brian Todd. Social media by Kate Lucky. CT's editor-in-chief is Timothy Dalrymple. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.
This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.